Welcome everybody to my podcast, Big Little Small Talk. I'm Megan O'Hara-Sullivan and I love to talk, but I also love to listen. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome along listeners to Big Little Small Talk. We're here today with a very special member of the community, a woman by the name of Dr. Joyce Jones. Welcome along, Joyce, to Big Little Small Talk. Many thanks, Megan. Now, Joyce, you are a fascinating person, and I think a lot of people in Toowoomba would know you, and they'd see you around with your guide dog, Todd. And I want to talk about Todd in a little while. But can you tell me about your eyesight and um, how you came to be blind? Well, that's a very long story. Um, when I started school, uh, the school teachers picked up a problem that mum and dad didn't know that I had. And I was tra- taken to an eye specialist who diagnosed a very severe case of iritis or uveitis, which is an autoimmune condition like rheumatoid arthritis. It comes out of the b- bone marrow where the, um, there are too many white blood cells produced and they sometimes turn on the parts of the body themselves. And so there's no cure for it. All they can do is uh, palliate it with various medicines. And uh, these worked for me until I was in my teens when I developed um, cataracts. Apparently these uh, can be precipitated by autoimmune problems and also by the steroids, which are given to, uh, to treat the autoimmune problems. And once the cataracts were removed, uh, the site deteriorated very quickly because other, other problems uh, set in. So uh, by the time I was in my early 20s, there was no more eyesight. Right, so you had been a sighted person. That's right, I could read until I was 17. Mm-hmm. And were you driving? No, no, not driving, I never drove. Right, yeah. and um, so, uh, well, iritis and uveitis is very painful, where you were in a lot of pain. Back uh, very much so, that's right. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> did you think that that was just a normal thing that people had pain, you said that your parents didn't realise that there was something. Yeah, yeah, there, there is a lot of pain associated with iritis, but uh, I just learned to live with it. Right, you just thought it was something. That That's right, because when we're young, we, we tend to do these things. Mm-hmm. And did your sight deteriorate gradually after you had the cataracts done? It was very, very traumatic because when eye specialists perform a cataract operation, some blood vessels open onto the vitreous humours, the uh, fluids in the middle of the eye, and uh, in the case of an inflammation, it's just curtains, the bleeds just go in and these uh, fluids just organise or congeal. And the eye specialists have a surgical instrument that can remove some of it, but the, the process just continues until it's more or less curtains. Mm-hmm. So can you remember sort of having a lot of sight oh, for yes. the operation? That's right. They did one eye at a time. Yep, that's right. Yeah, I can remember having a lot of sight when I was in primary school and early secondary school. I used to play sport. Right, what sort of sport did you uh, do? ball and Vigoro, I used to see the ball coming along the ground. But uh-huh. sports with an airborne ball were always hopeless. Uh-huh. So did you essentially go from being one day... A no, no, it, it, was a, it was a it was a long, long protracted, uh, long protracted thing. But I, I, I just sort of took it in my stride and got on with my study. I was very heavily involved in study and I gave that the priority. So I had to learn how to read Braille and use a tape recorder and type out my um, uh, assignments and things like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was just very much caught up, caught up in study. Yeah, so this is essentially sort of at the end of your high That's school. right, late teens and, and then in my 20s at university. Mm-hmm. I, I did the uh, high school certificate with braille and tapes. 
Oh, so all right, you're already using the Braille. That's right, yep, yep, yep. Was it difficult to learn how to read Braille? Not difficult to learn the system. Uh, it's, it's more or less like a Morse code, um, but, but difficult to learn how to read with the fingers when we're used to reading with our eyes. That, that was a difficult part. Yeah. So what were you studying, Joyce? Uh, I managed to get through uh, the school certificate at my hometown school, which is in um, northwestern New South Wales. Uh, near Kinnabarabran, not far from the telescope. But after that I had to take a year off in Sydney to have a couple of operations and that's when the operations began. And then I went over to Armadale High School for my high school certificate and uh, I did it, all that with braille and tapes. And who taught you how to read braille? Uh, at the Blind Society. At the Blind Society they had braille, braille teachers. And was that in Sydney? Yep, yeah. yep. And, and is that an intensive thing? How long does it take? To uh, it, took me, it took me 12 months to get used to reading, reading Braille and typing things out and, and uh, that sort of thing. So there was a year of school missed, but that often happens to kids who are born with a disability. Mm. And uh, how was your mental health at this stage? Uh, well, it wasn't too bad. I was pretty young, pretty buoyant, and uh, it, the, the, the loss of eyesight really wasn't preventing me from doing... Uh, the things that I would normally have been doing, like like just studying and taking exams. Mm -hmm. And you were determined that you were just going to keep going? Yeah, I was determined I was just going to keep going, so I went to the university from high school. Okay, so what did we, what did we study when we were at university? At university I specialised in English. I studied at the University of New England where I lived in Mary White College. And uh, I took out uh, a Bachelor of Arts with Second Class Honours Division One. And then I went on to take out my PhD degree. And that took a long time because it was uh, the depth and the breadth of the reading required there it took me about oh, six, eight, six or seven years. So I did graduate Doctor of Philosophy from the University of New England. And, and that was. What was your PhD in? What English, uh, 18th century English literature on the writer Henry Fielding. Uh, he was a very prolific writer and he wrote very interesting books and I just like to read them and fit them into their context and uh, that type of thing. So I, I did enjoy that study very much. Yeah. I, I wish I could ask you a question about it, Joyce. I'm ashamed to say I, <laughs> I can't ask you a question about that. So after you finished your PhD, in six and seven years sounds like a pretty reasonable time for a uh, sighted person to do a PhD. Uh, by, by then it was... Um, so early 1980s and I went to Sydney and I tutored at New South Wales University for a few years in the School of General Studies. And I also did a work training program with the ABC. Thought I might try to get into the ABC, but that was when they were putting ceilings on their staff. So I didn't get uh, anything, uh, anything there. And uh, I met a wonderful man called David Jones, a journalist who worked for the Sydney Morning Herald. And we got together and uh, we married in Sydney and went overseas for five months. And uh, when we came back, we decided to shift up to Toowoomba and we got work at the university out here. I worked uh, marking assignments for literature courses and communication courses while David uh, did part-time lecturing in journalism. So Joyce, was David a sighted person? Yeah, David was a sighted person. He was 20 years older than me and David died of a heart attack about 15, 16 years ago now. So I've been here in the house by myself since then. Tell me how you mark assignments. Um, uh, the assignments have to be put onto tape and in this particular case at the university at that time students were actually putting their, their uh, communication assignments onto tape so I marked those but the ones in print had to be read onto tape for me to mark. Oh, and was that something that um, 
the university would, is this the first time that they'd ever employed someone with, with a visual disability? Uh, that that I don't know, but uh, yeah, that uh, that was the work that I did there. Uh, it's absolutely incredible. Tell me about being overseas. Where did you go? Uh, David and I went over three times. First time we went to England because David uh, was English and had worked on the Times in London before he was recruited by the Sydney Morning Herald. And we uh, we went all over England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and we went over to Paris uh, for a couple of weeks. And the second time we went back to England again, this time just to England and Wales. And the third time we went to Greece and Italy. So have all those wonderful travels to look back on. Sure. So tell me about travelling when you've got a visual disability. Like, did David describe the... That's right, yes. And being a journalist, he was able to give accurate descriptions, not only of the landscape, but what he felt about the politics of the situation. You know, he noticed a, a deterioration in England from the time when he lived there. Um, you know, th th things weren't the same as they were... Uh, he said un, un, under, uh, when, when Thatcher, we were over there when Ma Maggie Thatcher was in, in power and he said that there was a feeling of depression about the place. Right, and he could convey that to you. That's right, that's right. He used to say that nothing was kept up the way that it used to be, that's right. There used to be competitions to make sure that little railway stations were up to the mark and so on, but he said that everything there had just been allowed to, to run down and no one took pride in that sort of thing anymore. Mm, right, and I can't imagine, um, and we can talk about this a little bit later on, but your sense of independence and um, sort of reliance on other people, did you have to, when you first started to lose your sight, did you just have to get your head around it, I guess? That's right, and find um, ways of mobility, long canes, guide dogs, things like that. And uh, But there are times when we do have to ask people for assistance. Mm, and how do you feel about that? Um, not too bad, actually, if I'm going about an independent lifestyle. I would hate to be totally dependent, as some people are. Mm -hmm. So this, I guess, brings us to your guide dog, Todd. It, Todd is your... Todd is number nine. nine. The, that's right. I had a couple of tragic losses. One dog died of pancreatitis when she was young and another one of cancer. So uh, that's one of the problems with that particular mobility aid, they're particularly Labradors, they're vulnerable to uh, many, um, many conditions. And uh, so Todd is no number nine, but I've only gone the full distance with seven of them. What does that mean, that they have... Well, they've, they've, li they've lived until they're 10 and okay. retired. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about, um, about getting a guide dog. I read somewhere that you said that um, you'd only had him for a couple of months and he already knew 18 places that you'd like to go. How, do, how does it work? What's the uh, do Dogs are very uh, sensitive to destinations. They, uh, they, they, they get to, to know and like destinations. And uh, as soon as... I've only, I've only had to take Todd to a place once and if I walk into that street again, he'll go up to the gate or turn towards it to indicate that he, he, he knows that that's there. And that's how, how we use them to find destinations. Uh -huh. Is that because when you get to somewhere, you talk to him? Or that's what? right, I ask him to find a place. They do learn words. Dogs can learn words. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to give them directions, go left, go right, right. go yeah. forward. So you, that's why I say to the listeners that they may have seen you around, because I know that you yeah. walk downtown, you're involved yeah. in a lot of community groups. That's right. Um, and I read somewhere that you said that Todd is your lifeline, is that...? That's right. I, 
like with 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 a guide dog in the house, I don't really feel too dependent because I know that I can just put the harness on him and step out to wherever I want to go, mm -hmm. and uh, that that's a good feeling. Yeah, for sure. So, are all the dogs that you've had have they all been trained through Guide Dogs Queensland? No, I went down to Melbourne um, for the first one, so I think I've had four. Mm -hmm. For from from Queensland. Yeah, and I read somewhere too that it costs fifty thousand dollars to train a guide dog. Is that right? That's from the time they're bred until the time we get them. Yeah, that's right. And do you do they do they match a dog up to a personality? Uh, I don't know whether they do that so much as, as walking speed. That's the, oh. the 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 main thing, and the size of the dog and the walking speed. Because Labradors are pretty friendly anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me about. Um, if you see, is it is it annoying when people pat Todd? That that is a bit distracting, you know, because he's supposed to be watching his work. But unfortunately, Labradors do tend to invite that. <laughs> they they, they look at someone with their big brown eyes and think, well, I must give that dog a pat," uh -huh. and they don't realise that it's a guide dog, and they mustn't distract it from its work. So, as a general rule, you shouldn't really. That's um, right. Yeah. Even when you're somewhere, say at a function. And That's right. Yeah. There, yeah. Try not to, to to get it to turn to other people. Yeah. Okay. Do you um, ever have a favourite? Like, do you? Is that a fair thing to say? Like, do you sense their their personality? Uh, very much so. And they've all been different, uh, and, and and I've liked them all the same, but in, in a different way. That you know the, um, but I have had um, I have had three female dogs, and uh, I, I do think that they tend to be a little bit gentler. Right. And uh, so easy, easier to get on with, easier to handle. I'll just remind the listeners that they're on 4DDB, 102.7 FM, and we're in our segment called Big Little Small Talk with me, Megan O'Hara Sullivan, and I'm interviewing Dr Joyce Jones, who's telling me fascinating stories about guide dogs and the, the dogs that she's had over the years. So Joyce, um, what do you think in terms of your, your sight? What, what, what are the biggest challenges for someone who's sight? Uh, I've always found loss of landscape the most difficult spiritual and psychological barrier, not being able to see the beautiful um, blue hills and forests and gardens and, and things like that. Because uh, I've been without my sight now for well over 50 years and I, even though I do remember what things look like, that has always been um, the one that has really caused the sorrow, not so much the technical problems which can be overcome in some measure. Mm -hmm. It's the, the sort of... Loss of colour. Loss of colour yeah. and not being able to, um, to sort of, is it to break the monotony of... That's um, right. And, and also um, going to a, a theatre or a ballet or an opera and not being able to see the excellence in front of me. Yes. Yeah. That, that's uh, also depressing. I remember, Joyce, we went one time to the repertory theatre and, um, and, you know, this is what I have to admire about you. You never say no, do you? You're That's right, always, always go, yeah, go. I'll go, I'll go. Yeah. And the person sitting next to you was describing the play to yeah, you. That's right, yeah. Saying, He's opening the drawer. He's taking out the gun. He's firing the gun. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I do like to go to things like that. And uh, nowadays, of course, we have something which is called audio description. Uh, and, and in many theatres and movies, people can wear their earphones where there, there's audio description. Oh, wow. So you go to the play and mm, yeah. you'll get the audio description, yeah. right? Is it a part of sort of saying, if I don't say yes to this invitation, I might not get another one? Or? Uh, not so much that if I don't go to anything that I really don't want to go to. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, it's just part of fitting in and being part of a group and, and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, when you dream, do you see images when you dream? Yeah, I have blind dreams and sighted dreams. You know, yeah, that's, what yeah. Does that mean? Well, there's some, some some dreams that I, I don't see anything at all, and I'm just you know moving through the world that I move through. Uh, in the daytime, but other times I might go back to the past and there may be images thrown up from school days or something like that. Yeah, um, isn't that interesting that you have, have yeah. blind dreams and psychic dreams? Yeah, I suppose. So I want to talk some more about your work. So you were working out at the uni then and um, marking these assignments and things. And what, what sort of, how long did you do that for and are you still doing that? Not doing that now, I'm 73. But I think about, about 10 years I worked out there with, uh, first of all, literature course and then for a long time on a communications course where the students submitted their assignments on cassette. Mm-hmm. So did they have to read their um, assignments? Well, they, they had to actually perform. They had to actually dramatise uh, their material because it was a communications uh, communications assignment. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it made it very easy for me to mark. Uh-huh. And um, uh, why did you finish up that job? Uh, the course has changed in that particular form of assessment was stopped and uh, I thought uh, I'll just dedicate myself to community work after that. I joined the Australian Labor Party way back in the 1980s and I've been very heavily involved here in Toowoomba and uh, also I'm on the Regional Access and Disability Advisory Council of the Toowoomba Regional Council and Head of Blind Citizens here in uh, in Toowoomba. So the, the if I didn't know that you didn't have sight, I would have thought you looked exactly at my notes and saw all the things that I was just about to ask you about. Yeah, some people say, um, you know, you don't look blind, and, and that's an asset, I think, uh, being able to move through the community. People don't feel too uneasy with it. Right. Do you think that having a blind person in their midst makes people feel uneasy? Uh, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, you know, some people can take it in their strides, but I do know that attitudes have become more um, lenient over the past 50 years, and I think it's because of the large amount of work that's been done in public education. Mm, so tell me about that, because I wanted to ask you about all of the community work that you do. So with the um, Regional Access and Disability Advisory Committee with Council, what sort of thing are you doing there? Uh, there we're dealing mainly with access um, situations, because the councils are responsible for footpaths and roads and intersections and traffic lights. and and things like that and and, uh, with um, people with my disability we need to make sure that the audio tactile traffic signals are working so we have a network there where we notify um, councillors some of them are out of order but just um, uh, various places in the footpaths that are difficult to to handle. Um, We are going to be challenged very shortly by electric scooters if they're going to be allowed up on the footpaths, then we are going to get into serious trouble because already um, bicycles and skateboards and so on are a problem to us. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, there's, there's going to be a, a meeting over that one. Uh, also, uh, the council just opened up a, a park for people with disabilities, the J.E. Duggan Park, up on the escarpment, and I helped to... Um, advise them on that one on pathways and, and how people can walk along these pathways and, and get the feel of the bush around us and and also stand near the escarpment and get the feel of the distances in front of us. Uh, how does that work? How do, you, how do you do that? How do you get the feel of the distances in front of us? Well, if I'm standing in front of a brick wall, then the sounds and the smells and everything in front of me are blocked out. 
But if I'm standing on the escarpment, looking right out over the Lockyer Valley, then the feeling that I have in front of me is, is one of very great distance. I can hear birds flying at a distance. I can hear, feel wind coming up uh, on my face. You know, there's nothing to obstruct um, these things, which give, give the impression of a distance and perspective. Interesting, Joyce. And also bushwalking, you know, walking along the track, uh, feeling um, sort of ground underneath and, and, and being able to reach out and, and touch trees and feel plants and things like that. That's also something that many people with um, vision loss miss out on because we tend to keep to the concrete pavements when we're in town. And is that something that um, you sort of actively try and get off the concrete pavements and get out? <laughs> oh, it's, it's always good to go for a walk through a park and... Uh, and things like that. I know when the Carnival of the Flowers is on, uh, friends of mine take me to Queen's Park and to Laurel Bank, Laurel Bray, and, and, and uh, put my hand on the poppies and the may bush and all these sorts of things so I can feel what they're like. I believe it's quite spectacular. It is indeed. What about um, park, when you go to the um, Laurel Bank Park and the scented garden there, what, how do you rate that? Oh, A1, that's right. It's, it's really good having lots of fragrances around. Mm -hmm. So you. I mean, is it true that um, your other senses become sharpened when you lose one of them? Oh, very much so, very much so. I, I hear things that other people don't hear, and uh, it's just because we train ourselves to do these things. Mm, mm. Um, so, um, the J.E. Duggan Park, how do you rate that? I'd rate that first class. Mm -hmm. And we're wait, waiting for the rain to stop and for the summer to begin so that we can start holding barbecues there. Regional Access and Disability Advisory Committee. Are there other people with disabilities on the advisory committee? All re all disabilities have a representative. Uh, people with autism, people with hearing loss, uh, wheelchair disabilities, and uh, and uh, people who deal with the education of people with disability and so on. It's it's pretty representative. Yeah, fantastic. And do you feel that? you're making a worthwhile contribution? Do you get a lot of sense of satisfaction being on those committees? I, I do, although committees tend to move fairly slowly and sometimes um, when we want something done we tend to jump up and down a bit. But um, they, they, they take time sometimes and that, that uh, means that we just have to keep working away at it. Mm -hmm. The slow moving ship that is government. That's right. Tell me about being in the Blind Citizens Australia. You're a branch president, is that uh, right? That's right, yes. So Blind Citizens Australia is a very active organisation based in Melbourne and it uh, works with the government and the community uh, on many, many issues ranging from education, employment, sport, uh, technology. Digital access is a major problem uh, with us, how, how to get our screen readers and, and so on to handle a very highly complex uh, internet situation. And uh, and uh, I'm a secretary of the women's branch. Okay. It's a very large and very active branch and uh, we deal with issues concerning women with vision impairment and, and these issues are very, very broad indeed, ranging from how to help one another in the kitchen, tips and tricks, for cooking and cleaning and, and, and things like that, uh, right through to how to access health services where we don't have uh, uh, proper vision and uh, many, many, many issues like that. Yeah, and we, we network with other organisations too, like um, Women with Disabilities Australia and and so on. So we, we're on the telephone um, you know, several times a week with our um, t telephone um, 
conversations and our Zoom meetings and things like that. So has Zoom changed your life, really? Um, yeah, we can Zoom meeting and telephone meetings means that we can just meet, meet up on the instant. Mm, and um, yeah, that technology, I, I would imagine, has come a long way from That's the, right. in the 70s when and you first started to lose your sight. They're very much so. And, and, and we blind citizens still have to work on uh, service providers, email um, providers and so on to make sure that uh, their the pages are accessible to us. Mm-hmm. When you talk about your reader, what does that mean? Do you have a machine that you can put print underneath it and then it... I do have one of those. I put a printed page, you press a button, it reads the page and reads it back to me. My iPhone does that one as well. Right. Um, but when I want to read a book for enjoyment, um, I can download what, what they call audio books mm-hmm. from um, Division Australia, the Central Agency's uh, library, and, and just read books that are very well written and, and are very well read and, uh, and just enjoy reading a book by the bit on my bedside table. Mm, it's incredible, isn't it? Uh, Joyce, I know you love op shopping. What do you, how do you go shopping? Uh, if I want something specific, I'll just walk straight in because I know where quite a few of them are. And I say, right, I want a new white shirt and the w- women who work there help me to you know, pick out uh, a new white shirt. But if I'm out to lunch with friends of mine and we say, let's go to the op shop, <laughs> then they look over things and they say, this, this, is, this is nice, you should, should, should take a look at this one, that's right. So, um, I come home with, with a big pile of clothes. <laughs> I remember seeing you one time with a flower in your hair and um, I think it was a flower and you said, oh yeah, someone told me that that, um, that looks nice. Or yeah, it's, that's right. Oh, it is. It is very much so. That's right. Mm. And it, I mean, I can imagine that that must be so humbling to have to sort of say, "What does this look like?" That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, I just um, yeah, I can't imagine um, sort of the bravery. Uh, is there still new challenges to you every day? Um, sometimes I meet up with uh, people who say that the guide dog's not allowed in a taxi, or the guide dog's not allowed on a bus. And they usually are people who come from overseas countries. Um, they, they just need educating. And uh, there's a problem uh, in some cases with some overseas countries where people don't like dogs. Oh, okay. And uh, that uh, it, it can cause some problems. Mm-hmm. And I've had to lodge a couple of complaints there, but people just need educating. Mm. Um, and now I know I'm jumping around a little bit um, here, but you did say that you were the secretary, not secretary, the vice president of the local branch of the Labor Party. That's right. What does that involve for you? Uh, just to be around to, um, to back up the president and chair meetings when uh, the president's not around and, and, and just to keep uh, abreast of issues and, uh, and that type of thing. So your politics, um, I think probably from the things that you were saying earlier um, about being in England during the Margaret Thatcher years, so do you have a, a, a strong political, I know that you've been a delegate to state conference, the Labor Party state conference? That's right, a very much left-wing Labor. Mm-hmm. What I, are some I, of your core beliefs and um, things that matter to you? Uh, fair conditions and fair wages for workers and uh, that also um, causes problems with uh, my environmental commitment. I think that we really do need to put a stop to global warming, but as a member of the Labor Party, I'm also, also in favour of people having work, and uh, I would like to see a transition from coal and gas production to renewable energy resources, and I don't think that's been done quickly enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, 
that's all the, the contradictions, isn't it? And that's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, the, the Greens are demanding it, that we stop coal and gas at once, but I, I know many people that work in these industries and they just need to have an alternative to go to. Mm -hmm. Where did you get your political... What shaped your political views, Joyce? Uh, I grew up in a Labor Party family. Mum and Dad were both... Uh, they weren't members of the party, but very strongly Labor voters. Mm -hmm. And when I was... was uh, it's a school and university in Armadale. I was um, again exposed to Labor Party principles there. Mm -hmm. Was um, your family home, were your parents both working? Or? Uh, no, no, when I lived at home. Mm -hmm. Were they farming people? You said that. Uh, tim timber cutting. Tim timber cutting? Yeah, timber cutting, right. right. Yeah. How did they cope with having a daughter losing their family? Uh, it, it, it was something that came on me gradually from early childhood, so it just became something in the family. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have a sense of sort of um, failing you in some no, way? No, not, or no, not really. I, I just got on with it and they, they could see that I was succeeding at what I wanted to do. So exactly, that, yeah. there was no problem there. Did you have any brothers and sisters? Uh, yeah, two brothers and one sister and they sort of took it in their stride as well. And they helped you around? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, would always be sort of grabbing you by the elbow and steering that, you? That's right, that's right. To where you need to Yep, yep, they do all that sort of thing when I go home. Right, so your brothers and sisters are still alive? Uh, yes, two brothers are still living in the hometown in the same line of work. And uh, my sister's retired down in the Riverina. Uh, she w lived in Canberra for a long time, lived and worked in Canberra. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, they just t t take all that in their stride. Mm, I suppose it's just part yep, of their life, isn't that's it? that's right. Yeah, exactly. I'll just remind the listeners that they're on 40DB and our segment called Big Little Small Talk and you're with me, Megan O'Hara-Sullivan. Our guest today is Dr Joyce Jones, who's led an incredibly interesting life and continues to do so. Joyce, um, a few questions before we have to say goodbye. Um, what's the last thing that made you laugh out loud? I think when... When the election was called, <laughs> the last election, because I think that the um, the coalition was so arrogant, and, and when uh, Anthony Green on the Labor Party on, on the ABC called the election for the Labor Party within the hour, uh, I, I really did laugh out loud there because I thought we we've done it. Right. So you laugh with a sense of joy. That's right. Yeah. yeah, we're back in again. Right. And what, what will it mean to you to have a Labor government at a federal level? Um, just a, a government that is empathetic to the needs of the people. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't treat us as though we're brainless. Right, yeah. We talked a little bit about your childhood before. So when you were a child, what were you obsessed with? Were you obsessed with anything? I loved colouring in books. Oh my goodness, the irony. Yeah, that's mm. right. And uh, as I said earlier, the loss of colour was, was the greatest sorrow in the loss of eyesight. Not so much the technical problems, they'd be overcome by getting around with a guide dog and reading braille, but that, that, the loss of colour, there's nothing that can replace it. Mm. What's your favourite colour choice? Uh, green. Green? Yeah. <laughs> Are you allowed to say that, um, you know, being too close to the greens? Uh, no, not really. I've, I've just always thought it green and fresh and, and things like that. Mm, connected to nature? Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Spring. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> this might um, this might open up a can of worms for you, but what's your most controversial opinion, do you think? Uh, I think the, the one the most controversial opinion, I think, is I'd like to see Australia become a republic. Mm -hmm. Is it something that you've always... Uh, yes, I've never uh, supported the monarchy. I've never felt that we need that. And 
I think we should strike out on our own. And I'm really angry with the way that John Howard um, deliberately um, sabotaged the Republican um, referendum that was held some time ago because he asked the wrong question. If he'd asked, would you like a republic, I think we would have perhaps won more votes. But when he asked the question, do you want the parliament to appoint our head of state? Well, no one wanted him to appoint our head of state. So no. we lost that referendum. But I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to working towards the next one. Did you work on the um, campaign then? Yes, I, I did. I was out, uh, out with the Labor Party or many Labor Party members then. I sh certainly shall be again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yes, okay, we're getting rid of the monarchy. So that right. might um, that might um, influence my very last question. But before I get to it, I want to ask you, um, what's the song that you can't stay off the dance floor for? I'm 73, so I don't dance anymore. But I've always uh, thought the best dance tune is Carl Porter's "Begin the Begin." Begin the Begin. Yeah, I love that one. I have to see if Patty can find. That's begin right. Begin the Begin. Cole Porter, was he someone that you... Uh, he's, uh, I just, uh, sometimes, I like classical music. I listen to a great deal of classical music. That's my favourite uh, pastime. Everyone with a vision uh, disability just loves music and it has their very favourite uh, kind. And I, I really uh, spend a great deal of time listening to classical music. But I also like a lot of the songs of the 1930s and 1940s and 1950s, the ones that mum and dad used to listen to. Uh, and when I uh, play them, I, um, they, they just remind me of my mum and dad. Oh, interesting, that's right. And of course it goes to that part of the conversation that we are having earlier about um, all of your other senses. and that That's right, yeah. yeah. And that's your hearing and the music yeah. and how it can take you. Do you get to see much live music here? Uh, I like to go to live music concerts, chamber concerts and symphony concerts. So when people invite me to go, yeah, I do go to them. Mm, lovely. All right, well, my very last question, I think I'm going to know how you feel about this, but I always ask all of my guests, who's your favourite royal? It doesn't have to be a British person and it doesn't have to be a living person. Uh, I don't have a favourite royal um, because I'm opposed to monarchy, but uh, Anthony Wedgwood Ben in England was an aristocrat who discarded all of his titles and, and privileges and embraced the labour movement, and I, I think very highly of Anthony Wedgwood Ben. I think he set a very good example. Well, Joyce, that is a, a terrific answer for a probably a fairly lame question, but I do like to ask that question because it sort of shows people's personalities and um, different ones support someone because they think that you know they're a hard worker or someone because that um, you know they're a rebel or whatever. And in true to form, your answer has been a very telling um, example of your beliefs and your your strong. Um, belief in the labour movement. So. That's right, I, I do watch the world. <laughs> I may have no eyesight, but I do watch the world. And with that, I'm going to say thank you for being my guest today on Big Little Small Talk. Thanks for having me on your program. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me on Big Little Small Talk. I hope you can make the time to join me next week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your favourite podcast app.